Welcome to Kicking It Local, the podcast all about the local community in South Australia, the football community, where I chat to players, coaches, officials, and this week I'm chatting to a president of a football club in the NPL, and I'm right here live from Frank Mitchell Park, joined by the president of FK Beograd in the NPL in SA, Andrew Popovich. Thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure, Johnny Kecko. It's a pleasure to be at your location. I'm, I'm starting to record on location. It's good to get a feel for the club. And what the club has here set up is fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, well, the club's been here for over, well, the club's been in existence for 73 years. Mm. Uh, and I think at this ground, we've been here for almost 63 years. So uh, uh, well entrenched in the Woodville West uh, suburb here is Frank Mitchell Park. It's, um, it's a beautiful facility. And uh, you've, so you're the president of the club. So I want to talk about um, what it's like to be a president because it's, a, it's almost a full-time role, isn't it? Uh, it starts off being a full-time role uh, as you start off. I've obviously been here almost 15 years at the helm here at uh, White City, or now known as uh, FK Belgrade. Um, you look, you need good people around you, but you need really solid people who uh, uh, put their head down and, uh, and get on with the job. Uh, yeah, so it's quite, uh, quite difficult. There's a lot of volunteer hours and your phone's on pretty much... 24 hours, 24-7, yeah. uh, addressing issues from uh, small to large, yeah. What are some of the issues you have to deal with on a, on a daily basis? Uh, well, like players yeah, there's, and... well, players, there's a lot. So there's, it's broken into a couple of components. You've got uh, admin, you know, so you've got federation stuff, registrations, you know, tribunals, uh, issues with uh, players, contracts, you know, referees, all that sort of stuff. It just culminates into football. You've got the logistical side of things in regards to pretty much just setting up foods, caterings, um, making it as, as you know the hospitality as good as it can be at the club, you, and you know sponsorship, fundraising, uh, and you know you've got things to do with government, local government, councils, uh, federal governments. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of bouncing balls in uh, local sport, particularly yeah. um, particularly football. Yeah, it sounds like a full-on role because a lot of people I know they. Uh all have a full-time job on the outside and trying to juggle it it's a must be a tricky thing well it's it's, it's a very tricky thing and uh the problem is uh when you love football so much uh you end up making sacrifices probably to the detriment of your own sort of business and family because you spend a lot of time here so uh you know someone has to be here at 4 30 to meet uh our local government official you, you pretty much finish work and you and, and you get here uh, to address the issue so uh, yeah, big sacrifices, but uh, when you love football, um, you know, it's, there's ups and downs. So it's, it's, uh, it's important. I think it's important to uh, dedicate time to a community, and particularly a sport that you love. Uh, it doesn't happen very often uh, these days because there's a lot of people that uh, really uh, struggle for time. Yep. I always say to people uh, as a president, I said, I've got three daughters work for myself so uh if i can make time i still believe anyone can make time so if you love it enough uh there's there's always time talking about the love what does this club actually mean to you because you, you've been here for 15 years as the club president um what does it mean to you to be a part of this club look there's a, it's a two-part uh two-part theory to this so the first part is uh obviously you grow up at a club you love football so as a kid i used to come here and watch as a seven-year-old i started watching pretty much every saturday so uh, local soccer is uh, is where it's at. Things have changed in the last, uh, you know, say 10 or so, 15 years. Soccer's changed a lot, I think. Probably uh, a lot of people argue to, for the better. I actually think that uh, we're losing a little bit of um, 
the smell or the sniff uh, of when you go to a, a you know a football club these days. Things have changed. Um, the other thing probably is obviously being born here uh, of of Serbian background. Mum and dad came to Australia. Mum came when she was eleven. Dad came uh, when he was about twenty five. Um, when you're born in a different country, obviously of Serbian descent, uh, you try to cling on to anything you can that's, yeah. that that relates to your past, your history, and your DNA. So this club was that for me. So you, you got to spend a lot of time with people of your own background, um, and, and it allowed us to build sort of our culture and uh, display our culture to, to you know to the other other nations of uh, of, of nationalities of of Australia. So. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's a two-part series. One's football and two's the community orientated. You get involved and you just want to be a part of it and you want to make a difference. I want to talk about the community a little bit later and the cultural aspect of this club because that's one thing that makes uh, football stand out to all the other sports is that cultural aspect of it. And I love that part of it. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about your the food you guys uh, do here as well. But um, before we get to that, you weren't always in um, playing soccer because you your dad never allowed you to play um, football at the age of 17. Why, what, what, what was the reason behind that? Uh, well, I'm not sure. So uh, I still haven't worked this out. I spoke to my, my dad passed away obviously a few years ago. Uh, he was hell bent on me finishing uh, school, uh, going to uni um, and just getting educated. So he always thought soccer was secondary, uh, which uh, in, a, in, hi- in, in hindsight, when you think about it, it, it yeah. probably is. So uh, probably educating yourself and be, doing well and, you know, statistically, uh, the likelihood of becoming a professional soccer player from Australia is very rare. So statistics would say best get a job, get married, have kids and, uh, mm. and just be involved. So uh, obviously a bit disappointed. So I, w- I was one of those kids that came to every game, wasn't allowed to play, but uh, probably trained more than most kids that actually played. Yeah. So I was always in the backyard juggling, doing rollovers, Cruyff turns, taking shots in between the fig tree and the peach tree. So uh, it was a, it's a funny story, actually, because uh, when I was in year 12, I actually got uh, picked to go to the state school boys trials for public schools. Yep. And that's back then uh, we played against Jimmy Chikinis, Corey Artoni. They were at Norwood High. We were at Croydon High. And uh, my father didn't let me go to the trials because of, uh, I had to study for exams, even though exams were like eight weeks away for year 12. So he was, he was taskmaster, uh, <laughs> very military orientated with his uh, thought process. But uh, yeah, so obviously I started playing uh, late, started pretty much at 17, yep. 18, came to White City, played 18s, played a bit of resis. Uh, that was in 1993 when uh, White City won the championship. So we had players like Bradley Hassel, Bradley Armour, Johan Dutch, yep, uh, Dennis Martinello in goal. So we had a really, really good side and we won the championship that year. So I was approached by Ivan Jafran who, um, who played at this club. He was actually a um, Croatian descent and uh, he said, so I'll come to Cobras, we're in the second division, mm. have a crack, you've got, you've got talent, you're not going to get a shot here, uh, come there. So, you know, played Rezis there. Got BOG first two games and then uh, called up into the first team was Rafan. He was really keen on me playing and um, that season got uh, pretty much, after round like so three or four, got glandular fever. Yeah, so geez. pretty much out for the whole year uh, with glandular fever. You know, as an 18-year-old, you're always going out, sort of working, not sleeping. And, um, uh, you, you know, you put yourself in all these situations. So... Um, yeah, they eventually came back, uh, played amateurs for a long time with the Serbian team affiliated with the club and then came back to uh, White City at 25, uh, just, before, well, just before I got married. So yep. I came back, uh, 
uh, played in the res, trained, had, a, again, unfortunately, a car accident at work, got rear-ended uh, the traffic lights. Jeez. Struggled to train, and then I became a coach. I replaced Rod Del Nido. Yep. Uh, who's that was a state development coach in the reserves and then just ended up coaching and so from coaching there I ended up coaching uh under 12s the kids here at the club that had no coach yep. and um yeah it just started from there and he's just been involved ever since pretty much 20 years this is Jeez. 20 years involvement actually in direct uh coaching yep. and volunteering so I, you know I'm the president of the last 15 years but I still call that a volunteer you know yep. so at the end of the day everyone's doing their bit to uh, to keep the club running as as well as possible and it's um it's great that you've been here so what's one of the I know the community part of it is one of your favorite bits and also the football side but is there any other reasons to for you to last that long being in the club and being involved in the same club for just as a volunteer look look you, you um I mean last year I wanted to step down uh, as president not not to walk away from the club but just pretty much uh, just take a minor role and just yeah. focus on one task. Uh, as a president, you have about 15 tasks, you know, ranging from what sock you're going to choose, what colour, yeah. to, you know, what sort of menu you have, and, you know, t dealing with government. So there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work that's not seen by supporters and yeah. public that, that, that is done uh, during, during work hours and after hours. So I thought, you know, I've got three daughters. The third daughter was born. I thought, you know what, I'll just take a break. Uh, it gets a little bit too much mm -hmm. and spend some time with the kids. Uh, in that meantime, my two oldest daughters, uh, we set up girls soccer here and they started playing and, you know, they, they come every week as a tradition. So uh, my wife pretty much said to me, um, you know, uh, you weren't there in the beginning. Uh, um, you were always at soccer and now yep. you want to stop as you're getting older and then the kids are going, you should just hang out. So... Still president, but yep. hope, we're hoping to find a replacement, you know, this at the end of this year uh, to take control. I mean, I'll still hover around and help out, but I was always keen on doing setting up the Frank Mitchell Foundation, which was to raise money uh, for the club and just focus on specific tasks. You know, if we needed to do a small pitch, like a five-a-side pitch, we'd raise money and, do, and then just keep adding value to the club where you just focused on a, a single task and that's when you're probably at your best you can actually focus on a single task and, and do really well at it. So um, we'll see. So we're trying. We're trying. We'll see how we go. We're in the NPL this year. So we thought I thought I'd stay one more year, yeah. consolidate. Hopefully we obviously are, don't get relegated, stay up and yep. maybe even make the finals if possible. And that'll be a reward. And then we'll just move on. We'll work it out as the season goes on. Well, that brings me to my next part of the, uh, of the conversation, talking about the club a bit in depth. And um, with last year you were in state league one in 2021 and it was a year that you guys got promoted it's a, a long while that you guys hadn't been in the npl for what was it like around the club because i did see on social media the celebrations from uh, some of the players after that game that you, you finally um got your final place because it made it hard for yourself after the final round in um season 2021 you were on top most of the season and then unfortunately one game just changed that and you had to play off to to get that final spot what was the celebrations like once you finally confirmed that you were back in the top flight where you guys believe you belonged uh look you know what city is a well belgrade's a traditional clubs you know it's 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 one of the big sort of five or six clubs with adelaide city west mm. adelaide you know the camel towns the, the, the raiders and the blue eagles so the traditional clubs uh we always felt that we should be in the NPL. I, I believe we're an NPL club. Uh, you know, we went through some structural changes as a club. Uh, we're in the western suburbs and we sort of, 
it's like we purposely sort of lost a little bit of focus and we focused on infrastructure and building the club up for the long term. So that hence a new club rooms, we've got new grounds at Fulham for the junior. So we sort of focused on that. Uh, and then we realised ourselves, you know, this is just not us, you know, we've been here five, six years. It's, it's, time, it's time that we um, go search for a, a coach that can take us to the next level, lift the standards up. So yep. hence we went for Damian Mori. We somehow uh, reached out and then uh, it was quite funny. Uh, I think Damien was made aware that we were looking for a coach because we had Cassio appointed as a coach because we wanted to play really good football. He was coaching yep. the juniors. And um, we always knew that he wasn't going to be a long-term Cassio because his son was always going to be uh, around the mark as a player. And he was push obviously pushing for the A-League players in the Australian under-17 side. Yep. So... Um, he, we pretty much appointed him, and two or three months later, you know, Bernardo was asked to go to Melbourne City. So he, they packed up and left. So, uh, you know, we already had Cassio. We wanted, we had a big name person. wasn't a big name coach because he never coached seniors. But you know, obviously, when you're at that yeah. level, uh, it's not that hard to adapt. So we reached out to Mori. Somehow, Mori reached out to us. We had a conversation, and um, you know, one thing one thing led to another. He recruited a squad that was pretty much inherited. So he turned the squad around. You know, we turned over a lot of players up to the halfway mark. Recruited a few other players. Made a late charge. Won all our finals games and lost in the final to Sturt the year before. Um, you know, I think he was really eager for us to um, you get promoted because it, as a as an experienced uh, player, he's done so much as a player coach. He's coached Adelaide City to championships yeah. and minor premierships. And I think he really wanted to prove to everyone that uh, he'll get White City, the big club, mm. uh, back in the league. And he did, you know. So we got a mixture of older players and younger players last year. And like you said, we got pipped at the post. We pretty much topped the whole year and uh, we drew in the end and uh, Burkala scored an in injury time and they beat us in the minor premiership. But we always thought we had the team and the, uh, to get promoted. And luckily in the end, we sort of, we convincingly, I thought, won the final against... Uh, Berkala and made it through. So now it's uh, you know sort of the job successfully achieved what yep. uh, what we went out to achieve and we've sort of done it. And now it's uh, consolidating in the NPL for um, 2022. The, so you, you're back in the NPL. Has it? What's the vibe like now? Because you guys have um, are known to have a, a nice um, uh, following of supporters that come out to games. What's it like to around the club being back in the top league? Oh, oh look, it's uh, is it changed a bit or it's changed a little bit. It's it's not so much. Uh, what it has changed is you've got you're playing against some of those traditional mm. clubs again, like the Campbelltowns, yeah, um, you know the Adelaide Cities, um, and you sort of rekindle a little bit of that rivalry because mm. you feel like you're you're back where you belong. Um, the supporters have always followed us regardless. So wherever we were, to be honest, sometimes. And I think Raiders are going through that now. They're in State League uh, 1. Sometimes it's good to get a bit of a reality check to sort of uh, rejig yourself. It takes yeah. a while to get out of that league. I think uh, Raiders the year before, uh, well, a few years back, uh, they came back straight straight back up. We took six years to get back up. So it's mm. not it's not easy uh, in that league. Uh, it's, it's a different type of football. Um, and recruiting players is an issue because yeah. really – you're in, a, in the mix of getting uh, experienced players who who love playing for money, and and really the club is at, uh, you know, the the club's pretty much at their feet there because uh, you're desperate to get promoted, so you end up throwing throwing a little bit extra money than you'd prefer just to try to get the job done. So, um, but yeah, but now the following's good. Uh, our only issue is we're still playing day games, and although day games were traditional. Uh, under lights football here at Fremantle Park is the best. You know, yep. The crowd's probably double. The revenue is probably you know 40, 50 percent more, um, and that's where we 
we want we want Friday night games pretty much. Yep. And I think um, it'll lift the level of football. Uh, number of supporters that will come out. Uh, they love they love night football, especially in the in the earlier oh, yeah. earlier months of the season. So it's um, nothing beats getting out to a local park on a on a nice cool winter's night. We can smell the food cooking on the barbecue. <laughs> yeah, well, with us, it's uh, a lot of people actually come just to eat and drink. Yep. So a lot of people don't even actually watch the game. So you know, you can there's some positives and negatives to that, but you know, it's it's a positive because uh, people come to the club, they feel comfortable, and it's yeah. almost like a, a day out for them. Have a few drinks, eat some good food, uh, and then they know what the score is in the end. But they they hang out with people, and I think COVID's done that for um, for a lot of the soccer clubs. You know, yeah. people don't go to the city as much. They hang out and have a few beers at the club. Yep, uh, and then they go home because most people live in the west, and it's just a you know short drive home. And mm. I think I think it's done wonders for building um, you know the community spirit. At, yep. at, at football clubs and the cultural side of it back in uh, back in 1949 when the club was uh, founded it was founded by a Serbian community do you think that Serbian community is still heavily a part of this um, this club I, I think yeah it is so yeah. we um, we're probably the only club in in um, South Australia maybe even in the, I think there might have been a couple of clubs we actually changed our name back once they lifted the embargo on ethnic names in '93, yep. we changed our name to White City FC, um, and now we've changed our name back to FK Belgrade, which is yep. uh, the traditional name that we had when it was founded. And I think, as a club, we wanted to acknowledge the people that founded the club. So they came under, you know, unforeseen circumstances. A lot of those people that uh, founded the club were, uh, you know, were in prison, uh, were in prison centres all around Italy, Germany. Mm. Um, and other parts of Europe after World War II, they came here and they love football. So uh, they created the club. You know, you know, all, all I'd say is, you know, being born here, the the, the Serbian um, the background of the club is very well prominent yeah. uh, in the club, and I think justifiably so. They're the ones that founded it, and it's sort of a symbol of our, our culture and our people. So um, we embrace everyone. If you notice, I mean, yeah. there'd be it's probably the most multicultural club there is you know yeah. i think sometimes we get a we get a little bit of a bad stick thrown at us saying oh it's very serbian it's very serbian well it's serbian in colors and serbian in probably name and uh, and yep. culture but if you actually look at the the demographic of the people in our juniors and our seniors you'll find that uh it's probably only like you know 5 to 10% yeah uh, serbian so we're probably the most multicultural club uh, in in south australia when you when you when you look at those statistics so um, we've done, I mean, I think you find that once you come to the club and you're obviously of Italian uh, yes, I descent am, yeah. and uh, we have a lot of Italians, Greeks, mm. uh, you know, Hungarians and there's still Hungarians and Russians and uh, uh, people that still come to the club that supported it uh, in the heyday. Uh, and I think what you find that we have unique about our club is our club traditionally is still supported by the same people that supported us 30, 40, 50 years ago and the next generations come and watch. They're general football supporters. There's a lot of other clubs out there that have got huge junior registered players, but they don't have many people watch their, um, the, the senior team. So I think that's the challenge for those clubs. Um, to, you know, to, to make soccer an institution locally and get people out to games, you actually got to have people that are actually buying to a club uh, and a culture of a club and, and buy into the game at grassroots. Uh, there's too many people that are now that just the mindset's changed. So they're not about the club. They're yep. more about themselves, uh, more about their kids, where their kids are going to play, and it's all about the kids. And I think they need to reverse the mindset 
They need to teach the kids, and similar to coaches, they need to be taught to play for a club. Yeah. And once you establish that and you play for a club, everything else sort of follows. The club is there to give you a platform to go to the, to go to the next level. So the club is there uh, to allow kids, coaches to take the next level. So without strong clubs, there's lack of opportunity for players and for, and for coaches if they love the game and they want to go to the next level. So uh, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I, I um, you know, I mean, I'm a big... Uh, I'm a big critic of, of, of a lot of things involved in football because I've been involved in soccer as a player, yep. coach, been involved in the girls' game, you know, amateurs, masters, you know, the way clubs are run. And uh, I think a lot of work needs to be done. I think as, a, as a, an organisation, the federations and stuff, they've done a very good job in regards to setting up infrastructure for clubs. But I think we really miss the point when it comes to actually building the clubs as institutions to build the game. Yep. And you can see that uh, flow through with the A-League. Uh, it's our top league. Uh, there's not that many supporters that go and watch. Even though the game is okay, the product is still quite good. There's a lot of yep. young players. You know, the product is okay. Nothing like Europe, obviously. And we shouldn't compare ourselves to Europe because at the end of the day, football is number one sport in Europe That's and it. South America. Here, it's number five, I would say. So the goal, I think, of administration here is to get football to be basically the number three sport. It's never going to be number one or number two in front of AFL yep. and, and uh, cricket and, yeah. and the Eastern Seaboard NRL. Yep. Uh, it's never going to get there. But we need to get it to the stage where people actually come to the games, love it, love the product. Mm. So there's a lot of things that need to be fixed to get that to happen. I From your side of things, what do you believe needs to be done to, to, to change that mindset and get people back out to games? Uh, look, I think uh, we need to focus on grassroots. Yeah. So I'm a big believer. Uh, if you look in the olden days, everyone talks about the golden generation, uh, the Vadukas, the Kules. A lot of those players, uh, say Kules unique, but Kule went obviously when it was 15, 16 overseas. Yeah. Um, a lot of those kids previously loved football. So uh, it's a different love. So those people played, whoever made it to the AIS, which is a great institution, because they produce a lot of players because it was that sort of, uh, school formats yeah. that uh, allowed you to focus on football. Uh, a lot of those kids at halftime, uh, outside, they'd be going to a park, they'd be having kicks, they'd be shooting at goals, they'd be playing three on three, five on five, even though they were still training and playing. So I believe that they had many more hours of training yep. than the current day players did. And they had more a, a bigger passion so, mm. uh, for the game. There's a lot of kids now that love playing the game, it's great, and aspire to be at a higher level. But to get to that level, really, you need to be playing football all the time. So yep. you need to be doing it at home. Similar to cricket, you know, when you were younger. It wasn't an ethnic sport, cricket. No. But every ethnic that I knew was playing cricket with a bin or a stobie pole, playing in the backyard or the front yard after dinner. And then when it would get dark, you'd go home. So you had people exposed to the, to the game. Mm. And I think that's where football... Um, I think that's why Australia hasn't excelled. I, I don't believe Australia has excelled in football. I think we, we were, we're getting there. I think we've dropped off. off the, I just believe we've just dropped off the planet. I know people will argue, say, oh, it's yeah. not true. But um, when, you, you know, uh, when you have uh, players more... In, so the, the mindset of kids now, I believe, is they have to go into 
the federation program. So we have to play yeah. uh, SAP or we have to play Skillaroos. And, and if we don't make it to Adelaide United Youth and then we've failed and they sort of drop off and they sort of lose that mindset. If you go all around Europe and South America, most of the kids play for their club. So what I say is I think uh, there needs to be a different mindset. And I believe the federations and FFA soccer, they need to focus on clubs and focus on providing extra resources for clubs, for kids to train and get better training at clubs. So if you don't want to be a football player, that's fine. You can train twice a week. If you do want to be a footballer, there should be an opportunity where extra funding is given because clubs can't, let's be honest, can't afford to pay mm. an A-league credential uh, coach to coach under 12s and under 13s, right? Because someone has to have a certain amount of remuneration uh, to justify that sort of, uh, justify their time in coach, coaching. So um, a big part of that, I think, is they need to rejig the love for the game. So I believe that uh, state teams, federations, and um, all those organisations, I think they need to provide extra training, but that can't be at the detriment of clubs where those organisations actually play against the clubs that actually feed the federations. So I think that I believe there needs to be a, a, a big rejigging of the of the format. Yep. Uh, because kids need to grow up playing for a club and having a love for a club because it makes them better people. Yeah, it does. And it allows them to actually play for a cause. So mm. um, it's not done like that in Europe and it's not done like that in South America. So if we aspire to be like those countries and be successful, we need to sort of start following their models uh, for that. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of clubs um, talking about facilities and having the facilities for the, um, for the clubs. We've seen a lot of clubs getting funding to be able to build new facilities like we look at um, Croydon FC, for example, as well, building a brand new facility there. Um, and also LA Comets getting the funding now to um, hopefully build a new uh, ground at Ellis Park. Does that, is that a great um, stepping stone, a great way now for the future for the, uh, the game? Because we have seen a lot more of these clubs getting the, uh, the facilities up and running. I think... Um the more clubs that get funding to improve the facilities, the better it is. Yeah. So uh, collectively, I think uh, th there should be a system where e every club pretty much is allocated funding to improve their facilities so yeah. we don't leave anyone behind um, and uh, Im improve all the standards because it's the greatest game in the world and it, f it still feels like we're way behind the eight ball. Mm. So um, the grounds are great. So... The, the infrastructure is getting better at all clubs, um, and that's a perfect base. Yep. Now what we need to actually work on is actually getting people to the games. Yeah. So you've got to improve the product, and you've got to improve the reasoning for people coming to the game. So we try to do the community feel where people come and eat and have a drink and socialise as a means of getting people to the game. And then eventually people start um, you know, following the club and, and doing that. So... You know, if the, for the clubs to be all super sustainable, I mean, if if all the clubs got you know between five hundred to a thousand people to a game, paying customers, you already see a massive difference in the in in the strength of the clubs, and then the clubs in turn can reinvest that money into better coaching, yep. you know, better medical facilities, and that to improve players. So, yep. I was saying before, to get a really good coach out here. So, if a kid hasn't, if a person hasn't got a kid playing at the club. It's very hard to justify someone just spending their time coming to train kids uh, for $500. It's yeah. just not going to happen, yeah. right? So uh, coaching, the, the level of coaching then becomes 
poor because you're actually eliminating the people that are higher profile that can actually add value and you're sort of getting coaches that will do the job but are probably not at that certain level that you'd want to take the kids to the next level. Talking about uh, coaches, your current coach is the uh, head coach of FK Beer Grade in the uh, NPL, and he's also at the same time the assistant coach for Adelaide United. What's it like having that link now between your club and Adelaide United through your coach, Damien Murray? Um, I think, well, we're a very flexible club, you see. So, yeah. um, But uh, I think we've always had a decent relationship with Adelaide United because the people that have always evolved with Adelaide United through the years, um, we're always involved in local soccer. So from the Fairmont days, the Bianco days, they spent a lot of money and time mm. with clubs. And I think that was what sort of elevated the Adelaide United status. Uh, and there's a lot of past people involved there. You know, the Carl Vietz, you know, coach juniors, and, you know, played for Salisbury and, yeah. you know, went overseas and played for Australia. Uh, that adds, I think, a little bit of a... It, it's, it's a good feel to have local people attached to your A-League club to, to bridge the gap. Because yeah. I still think there's a... I still believe there's a divide between Adelaide United and the support of traditional soccer supporters and A-League. Because I yeah. think there's a just... Uh, yeah, you could say... These people volunteer their times in winter and then in summer when they crisscross, sometimes they just they just got no time. They're time poor to actually go and support Adelaide United. But uh, Damien Mori heading shows you the epitome, you know. Yep. Played at a high level, coached. Um, it's a testament to the, you know, our club who uh, is flexible. And Adelaide United have been flexible for us as well to make that thing happen. So Carl Viet obviously needed assistance. They're past uh, teammates. And yep. uh, that's what clubs should be doing. If you if you if you're keen on uh, you know promoting the game, yep. you should be working together, and no different to uh, you know, any any other clubs. I think we if we're actually keen on the game, yep. we're all competitive. We all want to win, but for us to get to the next level as a sport, we all got to band together and, and help each other. And I think the Mori situation with uh, yeah. Adelaide United is uh, is an example of how clubs can work together. Yeah, it's fantastic, and I love the the connection. And I went to a game where it was uh, um, Adelaide United youth versing. Um, uh, FK beer grade. So it was very strange seeing Damien on the sidelines coaching LA United whilst against his uh, current club as well. But it's good to see that connection. It was also nice to see that the local game, because I remember a few years back, it wasn't as uh, as strong as what it's getting to, um, what it looks like it's getting to now. Look, um, you, you will see that. Uh, and I think um, just with the MPL, I think as a club... Uh, you want the MPL to be, and I, which I'm a traditionalist uh, soccer supporter. So, uh, from my perspective, like the MPL where we're in now, um, FK Bugra needs Adelaide Croatia to be in there because it's traditional yeah. rivals. Mm. We need West Adelaide Hellas to be in there because that's the traditional rivalry of local football. Yeah, and I think once, you know, hopefully that sort of resurrects itself, but that that'll slowly change the game and and get more people to the game because. The more derbies there are, yeah. the better it is for football. So uh, that's where we need to head. And uh, I honestly believe there's a lot of work to do to get football back to where it needs to be. Uh, you've got to keep in mind, back in the day, when in the 70s, you know, 60s and 70s and 80s when people played, you had the traditional Serbian import, Croatian import, Hungarian import, Greek, Italian yeah. people, Polish. They all came to play from, from football environments. Mm. And they all played and they coached kids pretty much free of charge because they loved the game. It's a big shift. So I still think, you know, and this could be a suggestion, but, you know, there should be in the next five, six years, I believe, people who are involved in clubs 
maybe they should set up committees as affiliates to the Federation to help the Federation to uh, actually add input on how they actually think. So you, you, sometimes you, I think you need people that are actually exposed to club environments and have been exposed to the game to actually help and make decisions for football. Uh, I think uh, administration, from whatever that is, from politics to sport, um, administrators are administrators. Yep. So sometimes I think they lose sight in what the game actually needs because they don't actually spend that much time at clubs day to day seeing what's actually needed. So from a high end level, sure they do an okay job. You know they help out. You know there's a bit of funding for infrastructure, and that's all good. But to get to the to the root of the problem. I think you need to spend a lot of time and you need a lot of people uh, banding together to get the game to where it needs to be. And yep. I think that's it needs to start very, very, very soon because I think we I still believe our sport is in grave danger of became becoming irrelevant. That's what mm. I believe locally. Uh, even the A League, I still think there's a lot of work to do. It's, it's good standard of football, it's good to watch, but people aren't watching. And there has to be a reason for that. You know, years ago, Western Sydney used to have 25,000, 30,000 people. They built a stadium. Mm. Now they've got 2,000 people. Now, something's gone wrong for that to happen. So for those people to turn away, let's not look at the finer details, but at the end of the day, let's, let's get those people back to the game because yep. that, they were making the game exciting to watch. It was, yes. And, yeah. and I think that's what it's all about, entertainment. Well, we've seen Melbourne Victory as well. They dropped off for a while, but they've come back in numbers again um, in the last season or two. So we're slowly seeing it come back. Hopefully it happens for all clubs and even locally as well so we can see um, back where it used to be. And, and I can stop to, uh, listening to the stories of the heydays of uh, local football and see it again with the community as strong as what it used to be. Well, look, the, yeah. the talk of the B-League um, is probably... Is, is what could rejig and reignite, yep. obviously, mm. younger players, give them another stepping stone to get to the A-League. Um, but there has to be a huge investment from, from the federal government, yeah. the local uh, state governments, to make it happen. Yep. So, um, you know, Vietnam, Thailand, China, they've invested a lot of money yep. in football. And rightfully so, it's the greatest game in the world. And I think uh, if some of the people higher up uh, who are traditional cricket and rugby league and AFL people, if they can actually uh, you know, take, take a step back and actually just analyse, uh, the biggest businessmen in the world, the biggest manufacturers, the biggest business people in the world uh, come from China, come yep. from Germany, come from Italy. Uh, they're all football countries. Mm. China is not a traditional football country, but they invest a lot of money. They're big on ping pong and you know, badminton and all those other sports, but they're investing a lot of money in ping pong and uh, now they're investing a lot of money in football. Because they know it's the greatest game in the world. So they want to challenge those people. And that's, that's bragging rights. You know, you've got countries like Japan who are huge on football. Yep. So many massive companies. How many of them sponsor local football or our mm. national football? They don't. Because there's no connection there with people up top because there's nothing to talk about. When you have a meeting with someone or you have a beer or you have a drink, you talk about footy. Yep. Yeah, locally. Yeah. But when you talk about Europe, talk to Europeans, South Americans, and other Asians, they talk about football, soccer. So that could bridge the gap and create more opportunities. And I think they need to just, you know, they just need to open their eyes. I think at the moment there's too many people with blinkers on. That's yep. my opinion. And for the game to excel, we need to exhaust all avenues. And they just got to open up their eyes and realize there's a reason why every country in the world plays football. 
it's a, it's a great game and it connects a lot of people. And um, that's how I connected through you. We've gone to a, a local cafe in uh, Salso Espresso on Finden Road in the western suburbs. And the community there is great, all different um, cultures, and we all get together and talk football most of the time. Well, yeah, Jason Spinella does a great job there at Salso yeah. on Finden Road. Just give him a plug. Uh, <laughs> oh, this. There's several, there's seven to 10, 12 clubs there that's uh, represented, you know, from yeah. particularly from the Western suburbs, but you've got your Olympics, your Fulhams, your Western Strikers, your Croydons, your yeah. your Belgrades, and a few other clubs there that's- Even uh, Cobras as well. Cobras yeah. there, and they, and they talk football. And, yep. and that's that's what it's all about. And it creates a culture, and it's uh, working in best uh, practice, because a lot of people are telling, uh, you know, sharing best practice, sharing stories of how we do things at our club, and they, mm. you know, we're getting ideas. And I think it's improving. And I think the relationship between people in clubs, particularly of the Western suburbs, is, is really, really good. So yeah. although we are rivals, I mean, uh, we can ring up a president or a person or in a committee from a Western Strikers to a Croydon, um, and we're all connected. Uh, and we're all sharing best practice because we want everyone to do well. We all obviously all want to win, but we all want the game to win. And I think uh, it, that environment, like yep. you said, is, uh, is is what we need to create all around Adelaide. Yep. I um, love it. And as a neutral being there and talking to you guys, it's fantastic. And uh, it's um, it's a great little community at uh, South Coast Espresso. So make sure you get down there. A little plug for Jason. Um, but uh, the other thing is, um, before I let you go as well, I want to talk about the cl- the players that have come through your club, played at Adelaide United and gone on to the national stage as well. You've had um, Nikola Milausnic. And also Robbie Cornthwaite, just to name a couple, and also currently uh, Lockie Barr as well, who played at your club. Yeah, well, we, we've got lots of you know lots of people that came uh, came to the club. Uh, young Nick Malelsnich, obviously, is a product of White City. I coached him for three years yep. here in the under twelve, so he's been here a long time. He did go to Adelaide City when we got relegated and got recruited by uh, Adelaide United. Some people will say that Adelaide City produced him, which is totally false. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we blooded him when he was 16 years old in the first team. You know, similarly, we did that with a few other players, like the young Ninko Beric, who's playing now. You know, we blooded him at 15. So we try to do that with our younger players, especially the players that have been here for a while. Uh, we think it's important. And, you know, sometimes it's the sacrifice of the club. You know, we blooded five or six youngsters and we got relegated that year from the NPL because we had too many young players. But uh, if anything, it's, it's, it's did them. Uh, the world of good so uh, we're all about people getting to a higher level you know Robbie Cornsley wasn't really a product of White City obviously but uh, he only came here I think for I think he was here for two games three games and kicked I think two goals or three goals from right fullback and uh, got the call up so uh, but you know he he, you know I get on very well with him and he's in the media now and he ended up playing for Australia went to South Korea so I still like to think that we had some sort of influence over that uh, of of coming to here you know Lockie Barr is currently playing now uh, came here originally and, you know, was training in the reserves, came from Whaler and pushed him into the first team. And then, you know, obviously left, went to Adelaide United Youth. And, um, yep. um, you know, several players. Chad Bajaya came here from Broken Hill, played resis here, you know, demonstrated a high quality of uh, football, yep. got promoted to our first team. And, you know, and, you know, he came back here and coached kids and uh, now he's a technical director of juniors at Croydon. So there's a lot of players that have made it from here. Bradley Hassel in the 90s. You know, uh, at one stage, I think we sold four players to the old NSL and I think for a transfer of about 50 grand for four players, yeah, which is, is very rare now. You know, transfers, it's just become, you know, diamond a dozen. It doesn't really happen anymore. So that's something that probably need to get back to. Give clubs some sort of incentive for playing players, you know, a just reward for taking and players. I think that clubs. is something FA is working towards as well. I've seen the plan and I think they're working towards getting that, which would be great for the local clubs again, wouldn't it? 
Look, there needs to be some sort of just reward because yep. what happens is uh, clubs invest a lot of money and time in coaching and facilities yep. and you have a player that leaves and the club doesn't get reimbursed pretty much anything. There's some sort of compensation, but it's very, very minimal and it takes two to three years for it to actually come through to the system. So, you know, it's gone to the days with Mark Vazuka leaves Melbourne Knights and Melbourne Knights get, uh, you know, a commission of a million bucks or yep. whatever it was for him to go to Leeds. And I think Vince Grella... I think the Serbian team in Springvale White Eagles in um, southeast of uh, Melbourne got money for him uh, when he left Carlton and went to Italy. So there's a lot of things that don't happen that used to happen, and and clubs used to get a bit of a kickstart. I think if you, I mean, you don't. I was I was a young kid, but Todd Clark was the keeper for Australia. He played for the old beer grade. And I think they sold him for I think it was fifteen thousand dollars in the late seventies, and you could buy a house for fifteen thousand dollars. And <laughs> yeah. you know. It put it in the context, that means, you know, you'd be selling players at local level for six, seven hundred thousand, the average yeah, price now. Now, it doesn't happen. And I think that explains a lot, though, local level. Well, you know, clubs do struggle, you know, mm. and I think for that to happen, uh, we need to get back to uh, the good old days. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to finish it all off now. I've enjoyed that chat. But firstly, um, if a, someone wants to come to the club and watch the football, what do you recommend them to order at the uh, the kiosk? <laughs> Uh, to be honest, the traditional, uh, it's a traditional, say, Serbian hamburger or yeah. Balkan hamburger uh, uh, made out of beef and lamb nice. mixed, uh, a bit of onion, a bit of uh, capsicum, a bit of avar, which is like a capsicum relish. The traditional cabbage, which is very, very good for you. Um, it's very good for your health, uh, yep. cabbage. Uh, and a lapina roll. So I oh, advise yeah. that. It's a bit of a big eat, but yep. uh, I assure you that. And um, the Belgrade Lager. Uh, that's organised. We've got our own beer that's been organised by Coopers. So oh, nice. plug Coopers as well. But uh, Coopers helps a lot of people, a lot of clubs here in South yep. Australia have helped the Federation. They've sort of definitely looked after us in the last three years since we've moved into this venue. So thank Anthony Petherick there at uh, Coopers, the sales, man, nice. sales manager. But uh, And so you've got your own exclusive uh, Coopers lager. Yeah, so nice. it, well, it's, uh, it's called the White City Lager, the Belgian yeah, yeah. Lager. It's probably our most popular drink now. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a lager. So Cooper's um, makes it for us. But to let you in a little secret, it's a Cooper's lager. So they've done yep. it for us uh, for branding. And it's really worked. Uh, it's, uh, the keg sales are really, really good. Uh, and a lot of people from other clubs uh, have jumped on it. Uh, and obviously Cooper's South Australian owned. It's good beer. So, yep. um, yeah. That sounds fantastic. I'm going to come down and uh, get a nice feed, watch some football and uh, have a drink with you one day uh, at the club. But uh, before we finish it all off, kicking the questions are the final uh, two questions I ask every guest I have on the uh, on the show. Which footballer would you love to ha- kick it with on the football park? Anyone in the world? Well, from, have, from which generation? From any well, generation? Any generation. Or if you want to choose from back in the day and then one now, go for that. Uh, look, I, I would... Uh, yep, let's say so. Back in the day, let's go with... Um, there's there's two people which I, Maradona. Yep. Oh. Uh, purely because he seemed very lazy, but he was just his skill levels was just uh, yeah just amazing. So I think I'm uh, he's a person that's that's pretty much one World Cup by himself. Yep. Uh, so with him and there's a Serbian player called Dragan Dragic, which played for Red Star Belgrade, which was a, a, an amazing player. I've seen a little bits of footage of him uh, from a community perspective. Love to see him. Uh, and current day player. Uh, I played at the back, uh, and, and I'd love to be on the on the field with Vidic in a, in a yep. Masters game. I just think he was the epitome of uh, desperation of a soldier in the defence, and I think he's probably one of the best central defenders of all time. 
along with Pal- Maldini. Yep. Nice. There we go. And uh, who name two people, one international and one locally, that you would love to kick it with on a Saturday night and watch some football? Um, Anyone locally? Locally. So, you know what? I'll say locally. I'll say, I'll say Alex Popovich. Uh, he's a neighbour oh, yeah? and he's uh, <laughs> just broken into the Adelaide United first team. Has the same surname. Good young kid. Uh, I think he's going to do well. So, let's say... I won't have to drive very far to catch up with him, <laughs> youngster. And uh, internationally, I, you know, I, I'm a bit biased, but I wouldn't mind uh, hanging out with uh, Mitrovic, the leading goal scorer in the championship with Fulham. Yep. I think he's, uh, he's a madman, and uh, I think he'd be a blast. Sounds like a very good night, um, and I'm sure you have some chivaps on the barbie or something. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Bit of bit of pork, a uh, bit of lamb, bit of a uh, bit of cabbage. Won't go astray. <laughs> nice. Hey, um, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Kicking It Local. And uh, as you can hear in the background, you're cutting the currently cutting the uh, grass. So that's the the perk to being out at a um, local ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the council's out in force. It's a uh, tu- It's uh, well, it's today's a Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, it is a Tuesday. Yeah, it's a recording. Tuesday. Yeah. Lost track of time. They should be mowing the lawn on a Wednesday, but you know, obviously. Just they just do what they like at the council. Yep, that's it. But um, that's a perk. You can hear it in the background. And we're recording this live from Frank Mitchell Park. So thank you so much for joining me, Andrew. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming to White City. That was Andrew Popovich, the president of FK Beergrad in the NPL. Make sure you subscribe to Kicking It Local wherever you get your podcasts so you can get a taste of the SA football community. Plus, follow at Kicking It Local SA on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of the action. See you soon.